0: Baseball legend Yogi Berra had some of the all-time best quotes. Although he has been gone for nearly a decade, Yogi-isms are plentiful and still thrown around for their hilarity and brilliance. One of his best quotes relates perfectly to this episode. You can observe a lot just by watching. Bartenders tend to observe a broad range of human experiences. They see people living fast, loud, full of celebrations, fights, and all kinds of regrettable decisions. They also see a side of our human experience featuring heartache, people questioning life's meaning, and experiencing many shades of depression. And that's why I have wanted to interview a bartender to get a unique weigh-in on psychology. My opportunity presented itself when I was hiking in Colorado and bumped into Zeke. Zeke is a 19-year veteran bartender, and his lighthearted, friendly, and philosophical vibe felt perfect for an episode that I'm confident you will love. And a friendly reminder to the listener, the content on Super Psyched Is for informational use only and not intended to diagnose or provide any type of healthcare treatment. So listen in as Zeke and I have a lively talk about bartender wisdom. Zeke, welcome to Super Psyched.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm super excited.
0: You know, it's so fun. I bumped into you completely by happenstance. And as soon as we started talking, I realized there is. A gold mine here in the form of talking to a bartender. And I think you and I were talking about the whole idea in Men's Health magazine. There was a column called Advice from a Bartender. And it was some of the best advice I'd ever gotten. And I don't think that (laughs) column exists anymore, but uh, I figured what a great opportunity for us to make up for the absence of that. So, like, let's get some advice from a bartender. First off, how long have you been doing this? I've been bartending for 19 years. When you think about being what it takes to be a good bartender. What are some of the traits of a good bartender?
1: First and foremost is rough, solid skin. You can't take anything personally. You have people who have a bad day, who just woke up on the bad side of bed or, you know, whatever. You can't take any of that personally. got to put your best foot forward, I guess, would be the best way to put it. But also in the same token, you can't take all of their shit. So I know that sounds kind of contradictory, but that's the industry you work in. You know, you're constantly on a line. You're constantly choosing which battle to pick. And at the end of the day, what ends up coming out is just you in the morning.
0: So you know that feels so spot on. As I was thinking about your job and some of the complexities and the balancing acts you got to achieve on it, it seems like the big one is being really hospitable, offering amazing customer service, but also having boundaries, not being somebody's doormat and i would think in the context of a bar yeah i was talking to a former bartender he's like yeah sometimes we get treated pretty badly i imagine there's also you know kind of a god complex at times like sometimes you're a rock star and really being treated like one and sometimes being treated like garbage so let's talk about like dancing in these kind of tight balancing acts that you got to do as a bartender
1: how do you do that man how long do you have? (laughs) just go ahead and you present yourself the way you want to be treated. You put yourself out to what you expect. So if I expect everybody to be cordial and maybe not nice, I don't care about nice because nice doesn't pay my bills. (laughs) You have a set parameter. If you break set parameter, then that parameter is now broken and you go ahead and you do what you need to do to take care of it. The reality of the situation is the bartender, in my opinion, is there to help you get through that situation however you see fit. You want to be a dick about it? Be a dick about it. That's fine. But let your bartender know. You want to be super sweet, super kind about it? Okay, we can do that too. But make sure you have the groundwork set with your bartender before you do anything because you can walk in and just be completely an asshole and a bartender is going to treat you like an asshole, even though you may be a nice person. So just know that.
0: And so it sounds like from your perspective, given your scope of control, you can't control if they're going to treat you nicely or unkindly. But one of the things that you can do is you as the bartender, you adjust your expectations. You recognize that this is not about you. And it sounds like you also have a really flexible mindset in which you are able to kind of dance with
1: whatever shows up. And that's the key to longevity in bartending. You know, I have people, oh, I bartended for a year and I did this for a year. And I'm like, cool. I mean, I'm appreciative. But the real people that I know and the people that have been doing it for 20 some odd years and, you know, you say that you're looking at you like 20 years, God, they all have the same criteria. They're going to treat you how you treat them. They're not going to give you any more, any less, unless you're deserving of it. If you act, quote unquote, blase you're just like, eh, whatever. They're going to be like, eh, whatever. (laughs) If you interact interact with a bartender, they're going to interact with you. You don't say shit to a bartender, they're not going to say shit to you. It's just a really fine balance of trying to figure out where everybody is. So what kind of vibe do you try to create? I mean, because it
0: sounds like A lot of the rhythm is really determined by the rhythm set by the bartender.
1: It is very much so. The rhythm is very much driven by the bartender. The rhythm that I've set is a place to come and chill. It's basically what it is. You had a hard day at work, you had a hard day at home, whatever. The reality of the situation is the bar is the place for you to come and decompress. So basically what you're doing is you're taking time out of your day and allocating it into my space. And you're looking for a decompression. And in that decompression, you're also looking for maybe to tell a story or maybe to say something that you can't say to anybody else. I can name on my hand how many times I've been told secrets that don't need to be repeated ever. But that was the trust that I had built with that person. And that is the most honest thing about bartending is level of trust that you build with your client, with your customers, clients, or, you know, even friends, you know, long enough time they become friends. I imagine. And you were also talking about
0: this before we even get into building relationships, the idea of the bartender, him or herself having longevity within the profession. What are some things that may lead to people leaving? What are some things that are maybe hardships about the job that a lot of people think, wow, I'd like to be a bartender. And they find out, oh my gosh, I definitely should not be doing this.
1: On a very basic principle, is just basic human interaction. Anybody can bartend. Anybody can pour a drink. That's 100% the way that it goes. But it takes a certain personality to be able to make that drink with a sword. Yep. Or make that drink in a timely manner. Or even make that drink something exceptional that they haven't expected. So it really boils down to the reality of everything is the hardest part is making the drink. The least hardest part is keeping the customer there. That's the easy part. Because if you can make a drink, you can keep a customer there. And then you have unlimited conversation until the door stops. So basically, you're actually saying what
0: is the driver in your profession is being, first of all, good at the craft. Right. And second is the people skills.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And the reason why I say that is because the craft, that's what makes you. If you can bartend and make a living out of bartending, you have taken on the responsibility of knowing your craft. You've taken on the responsibility of knowing everywhere is going to have a different variation of drink. It just does not matter. And third, you've taken on the stance of this is my profession. This is who I am. I am a bartender. Now, A lot of people will be like, oh, you're just a bartender. Well, I'm making more money than, you know, people coming out of college. I'm making more money than people 15 years in the business. (laughs) I have a great work relationship with everybody that I have worked with. And I have a great wealth of knowledge. Now, why do I have all that? Because that's what's been built over the course of 19 years Spartan.
0: So it's amazing. You've also bartended in various places. I believe Texas, Arkansas, perhaps Colorado, and you're heading to Alaska, if I'm not mistaken, which is nuts. So you're reinventing yourself. You're actually creating a new, basically, I'm going to use a common idea that people can relate to. And it's basically you're moving cheers, the bar everywhere you go and basically redefining yourself, recreating relationships everywhere you go. How do you do that? How do you actually say, okay, I'm going to go to a totally different culture, different weather system known as Alaska. And I'm going to go reinvent myself there. How do you do that?
1: One step at a time. And I know that sounds cliche and I know (laughs) it sounds bad, but it's true. You go and you find a place where you're going to work. Okay. And then let's say currently right now, the two places I'm looking at, one is a fish house and the other one is another bowling center. So I have two places that I could possibly go to work. I'm going to go through the interview process and I'm going to feel out where they are as far as their customer service. And the reason I say that is because the customer service is what dictates the freedom that I have. If you're very stringent by the book, I'm not going to have as much freedom as somebody who, oh, well, this can slide. And it's not anything major, but it's the little thing. And it's the little things that build who you are. Give me some of the little things. Dress code is a huge thing for me. I'm not a dressed up. Yeah, you know, you're not going to be wearing a tie. A... Yeah, no, you know, unless I have to. And that's one of the scenarios that I have to look at. Okay, so I'm going to wear a tie and make $350 a night, or I'm going to wear a t-shirt and make $150 a night. Which one am I going to want to do? The other one is... Which one
0: would you want to do, by the way? I think know, I know, but... In
1: all honesty, I'd do either. Because $350 a night, maybe two nights a week, $150 a night, maybe five nights a week. So I mean, you know, you just got to kind of.
0: You might so be willing factors. to tolerate. It's kind of a trade-off, a cost-benefit analysis that goes absolutely, to your head. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Um, and that's one hundred fifty dollars starting out that they're used to. So that may be. I'd come in, you know, somebody who makes twenty-five to thirty percent on regular basis, coming in and turning that one hundred fifty into two hundred, two hundred fifty, or the three hundred fifty dollars a night, where that's just the way that they do it. There's no change about it. You know, whatever. So there's a lot of factors that go into just being a bartender. And a lot of people who are like, oh, well, you just a bartender, they can't do it. And it's not anything other than they lack the empathy skills needed to be a bartender. Yeah. You you can pour a drink, sure. You can do that all day long. But to build a clientele and to build a group of people behind you and around you, it takes a lot more than just being able to pour a drink. One of
0: the things that's showing up in business research is that empathy really matters. It actually makes a difference when you're in sales, when you're in a host of different fields. And you're saying that's one of the key markers of a good bartender is good empathy.
1: Absolutely. And being able to read that, you can have empathy and that's cool. But being able to express that empathy in a manner of positivity, maintaining positive relations, even though the whole situation is going completely to shithouse, You know, you have a wonderful way of bringing that back around or you have a way of bringing it to a point where it's not as shitty as it was. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But you've tapered it off to where you've saved them another day, so to speak.
0: Can you tell me a story where you kind of basically saved the day when it was your empathy that kind of drove the victory?
1: It was a New Year's Eve. I will never forget. I just had to remember what time it was. It was New Year's Eve and a guy came into the bar and he was drinking Double Jack and Coats. And I was sitting there and, you know, just I'd pour him a drink and he wouldn't say anything. And I'd walk away and go help another person. And then I'd come back and he'd already be done with his drink. And I'm like, well, that's three minutes drinking a double Jack and Coke. You know, that's on. a lot of alcohol. Yeah, exactly. So I'd pour him another one and I'd sit down and I'd look at him and I'd be like, hey, you know, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine. OK, so I'd let him drink another Coke, but I'd go ahead and take. 10 minutes to get back this time. By this time, again, his drink is gone. I'm realizing two things. One, he's drinking because he's hurting. And two, he's drinking because he doesn't know what else to do. He has no other outlet in life right now than this Jack and Coke, this double Jack and Coke, whatever he's drinking is going to be what he's fixing. So I strike up a conversation. Hey, man, what's going on? You know, I'm the first time I've seen you here, you know, blah, blah, blah. What brings you to our location? And automatically it went from super gripey to boom, super emotional, super in depth. He's like, look, my wife left me. He's like, my kids, they hate me. He's got all of these things that are just piling up. He's like, I have no reason to be here. The only reason I'm sitting here drinking is because I can control this one thing. That was my cue. That is the cue of a bartender. A lot of people will be like, a key of a bartender is to keep drinking and a key of a bartender is to make a regular out of somebody brand new, whether it be somebody new or somebody not knowing the bar, maybe know the bar a little bit too well. Those sure. types of things. Yeah. But now I've got him talking. So I had my second bartender kind of keep up the rounds and everything else. I, sent. I sit with a guy for 30 minutes, finding out what happened, what he's willing to tell me. In essence, becoming his quote unquote therapist, found out that his wife had cheated on him. She had multiple affairs over the course of their relationship. He was military, so he was always out of state. You know, he was always gone and he was just ready to be done with it. And to this day, I still call that person and talk to him at least once a week to make sure that what we built was something that is solid. Wow. Yes. It's very cool. You build those relationships and you build those times together that you may be at the bottom and a bartender is going to see it nine times out of 10. A bartender is more likely to see somebody depressed and knows at least one person that is going to kill themselves because of the situation that's going on. So it's their job to put a stop to it. And that's the hardest part that a lot of people don't realize. So Zeke,
0: one of the things that, I mean, this is a a really, really powerful, profound, poignant story that you're sharing about your humanity and your capacity to care. It seems like part of why you've been successful has been that you actually honestly care. And I also can only imagine that you've seen some dark places yourself. And that was what allowed you to relate to this gentleman you're nodding. Yes.
1: Been there, done that. So there isn't, outside of being pregnant, which, you know, would be kind of hard for me, there isn't a situation that I haven't run into. Throughout my life, I've done a lot of stuff and experienced a lot of things. And it's put me in a position to be that face of, hey, this is what I've got going on. I need someone to talk to. And I'm not going to throw a book at you. I'm not going to do anything like that. I'm simply going to sit there and have a conversation with you and figure out
0: where you are. And it's interesting. One of the things that you said to me really told me that you take great pride in being an individual. You take great pride in your freedoms. You think about non-judgment as a thing. I can really feel that emanating from you. Like you really aim to create a decent, real human connection with people. And that's exactly what you did. And that's who you are. You've had a lot of experiences. You've touched a lot of things in this lifetime unpack that for me. Like, give me a sense of how did you become such a free spirit? How did you become a guy who wanted to touch so much of life?
1: In all honesty, it started when I was 15 and that's weird to say. And a lot of people will call it bullshit, but I certainly old, won't. No, not at all. 15 years old, I was standing in the mirror. i had woken up and I looked at myself in the mirror and I knew that I was destined for something not knowing what I was destined for, not knowing how it was going to happen. But I took a step back and I found one aspect of me that will never change. And it was my eyes. So 15 years old, my eyes, I have blue eyes. I have the craziest blue eyes you will ever meet in your retirement. (laughs) The reason I say that is, is because they will change colors depending on my mood. So I would wake up in the morning and I would notice the color of my eye. And if they were bright blue, I was going to have a great day. If they were Gray in color, I was gonna have an okay day. If they were a little bit hazel, you know, but I was able to determine my day based on the color of my eyes, based on how I woke up. Well, then as that progressed, as I got older and I started bartending and I started working with people, I noticed that my eyes were always blue, more so than they were gray or hazel. So I love my blue eyes. I'm gonna keep them, but I still have those days where I'm gonna be like, eh, you know. Maybe not so much, maybe a little bit more tongue in cheek today or a little bit more direct, you know, not so flowery, so to speak. But it gave me a confidence point that I built from the time I was 15 until now. And I still do it. I'll wake up in the morning and I'll look at my eyes and I'm like, you've got the most amazing blue eyes that have ever seen anything in this entire world. And nobody can change my mind on that.
0: So what you're just basically saying is your eyes almost serve as a litmus test. They tell you almost like, hey, this is how true a thing is. It's maybe less predictive of how the day is going and maybe more predictive of how yesterday was. Absolutely. Okay. I see what you're saying. And Absolutely. so like, and bartending is such a great fit that, and it's so authentic for you that your eyes basically reflect the better color of blue for you. Absolutely. And it's like, okay, uh, it's, yeah, this is real. Okay.
1: I worked paraprofessional for a little bit. And what that is, is it's a, aid to a teacher in a special needs environment. So we had three kids that were at the school and I would notice that my eyes would be more gray, more on the hazel side every day. Now, it's not that I didn't love my job. It's not that it was not something that I could do, but there was only so much I could do within the confines of what I was able to Mm. Does that make sense? 100%. The freedom, the scope
0: of your And your freedom to move, your range of motion. Absolutely. Well, you know, we're kindred spirits here in a way because until I was nearly 40, I was in the corporate environment and I was not a psychologist. And to use your measure, my eyes were not blue. It was a fine job. But to your point about being a paraprofessional, it wasn't my job. Right. And now that I'm doing this, I'm stoked every day. So I'm so glad you found your thing. And one of the things that we've come to kind of know about the human condition is that we need to be ourselves. The best chance we have of, so to speak, touching the hand of God is through really bringing the best part of ourselves forward. And I wrote them down, you know, wisdom, kindness, non-judgment shows up for you as a bartender and you get to do things like what you described on this New Year's and really helping this hurting individual hurt less and possibly even live to see another day and possibly at some point, find a new north. Just to kind of bring it back to your own experiences. I really, and you don't have to go here, Zeke, but my sense is that you got a story that you've seen things, you've done things, you've experienced pain, you've experienced probably elation. And that really allows you just having had the full experience of being human. What are some of the things that kind of also may have informed you so that you are able to connect with a broader group of people?
1: To connect with people, that's easy. I allow my spirituality, and I know this is probably going to sound so cliche and so bullshit, but my spirituality allows me to connect to people. That allows me to meet people where they are. Now, you could be whatever; it does not matter to me.
0: You mean you're religious Christian? wise, like yeah. whatever you're rocking? You're you're
1: absolutely. And I've read all the texts. You know, I've read the Torah, I've read the Quran, I've read you know the Bible. I've studied Hindu. You know, I've done enough research to where I'm not just a Christian guy. That's like, oh yeah, no, no, no. You have a broader but base, does, exactly. But what that does is that allows me a better means to communicate with everybody. I can sit there and talk to somebody based on their belief for hours on end, and then not know that I'm not that that religion. Christianity is one of the better things that I have done as far as. To help me be who I am. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't change if a Muslim walks up. Doesn't change if a Hindu walks up because I can reach them where they are. And I think that's the biggest point of everything that I've done is making it to where everybody is reachable. I can talk to anybody and I can talk to anybody for hours on end and not miss anything. You know, I always laugh and I'm like, people have a hang up and I'm like, well, what's your hang up? So I know where to stop. And nine times out of 10, that hang up will be politics or religion. And I'm like, okay, we can do this. I can handle politics and religion. And then we would just go on and talk for hours on end. So being able to speak to multiple facets of people is definitely something that has helped. And it helps every day, you know, learning new words and new topics of conversation. You know, I tell people, you know, I don't watch the news for the news. I watch news for topics of conversation. Because one person's opinion is not the way that it's going to be. You can give me the news, sure. But that's not going to be how Joe Blow feels. Or <laughs> Sally, Kane, you know, Sally Q over here. You know, that's going to be a very small synopsis of people in a certain amount of space. So It
0: sounds like you're more interested in being interested than being interesting. That you're more interested in learning rather than teaching.
1: Absolutely. The day you stop learning is the day you start dying. And I will be the first one to tell you that. And uh, anybody who knows me knows the day that I don't learn something is a horrible, miserable day for me. I'm either at sick or, you know, something like that. I have to learn something new. It's enticing.
0: Let's go to a place of kindness that you observe, maybe that touched your heart. You seem like a man with a huge heart. I know you love your wife, you love your dog, and you seem to love life itself. You even were really generous with us in the parking lot where we met before we went hiking. Because I didn't have any small change and you hooked up my parking, (laughs) which was super, super cool. But have you witnessed a moment of kindness from behind the bar that was informative or somehow powerful to you?
1: You know, it's always very humbling when you see engagements. Those are huge. And the reason I say that is it's a very special time. Now, a little bit of flashback. I have always worked in a Bar setting. I did work a restaurant for a little bit, but I've always been in a bar setting. So for me to say that, you know, people get engaged is it's not as fairly uncommon as people perceive. Sure. A lot of people are like, oh yeah, we're, we're drunk. You want to get married? Okay. Just one of those where, you know, yeah. That's the last thing that people think about when they're going out drinking. Right. But in the one circumstance that I've experienced, the guy came to the bar. I'd never seen him before, never knew. I didn't know his name. I didn't know anything. And he was a nervous wreck. And he was sitting there and he was fumbling with his drink. And, you know, he had Jameson on the rocks and he would try to take a sip, but he couldn't. And he just looked a mess. So me being me, like, hey, what's going on? And he's like, oh, nothing. Today is the greatest day. And he just went on this diatribe, like completely, like 100% out of the mouth. He's like, but yeah, dang." You know, and and I'm just like, okay, calm down. I said, let's let's take this one step at a time. And he was going to propose to his girlfriend. And they had come to the bar and he was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I just, you know, he's like, I love her, but I'm afraid. And he started listing off the reasons he's afraid. And I'm just like, okay, so you have four on your afraid. I said, what does she bring to the table? And he just went on a diet, right? Like just... blah, 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 you know, and he just named off key points that I know I would be looking for. Things that, you know, were made special to him that, you know, him and I were almost identical. And I said, so what you're telling me is that the good outweighs the bad, that there is bad there, but it's not so bad that it's overcomingly bad. And he's like, well, yeah. And I said, you are the luckiest man in the world. And he kind of sat up in his barn chair and put his hand in and he's like, What do you mean I'm the luckiest man in the world? I'm like, you have found in this person wisdom of your relationship. You know exactly how you're going to get up, make money and provide for this person. Is that correct? He's like, well, yeah. I said, all right. So you've gotten three of the main things taken care of out of any relationship. I said, or I said, you know how to talk to her. Well, yeah, she's my best friend. All right. So you've got four solid things to go against the four negative thing. I said, if you don't marry her, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> but it was, that was just one of those things where you just, you start seeing more things reflected of the way that you need to be. And that's how you end up becoming.
0: Yeah. You see more things of what you need to be and you end up becoming in terms of like, I'm going to try to fill in the blanks. You see that you You're need good. to be a helper. You need to be Absolutely. an assistant to a person in a time of need to help him. Just to be a mirror in this case of this man saying, "Listen, this is what I hear you saying. Is this correct?" And him yep. saying, "Yes." Yep. And then you saying, "Well, this is my two cents."
1: Right. But my two cents fits into your thirty cents. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, I, and it's like. This may be the last piece that you need to hear, or this may be something that you don't need to hear, but whatever is going to put you in a position to where you're going to be better off for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. And it sounds like, again, being of service is great. I got to ask this question because I care a lot about masculinity as a topic. And I know a lot of guys, they want to show up at a bar ordering like the most manly of drinks. They will not order an apple teeny. I was wondering, like, what are your thoughts on masculinity and drink choice?
1: Ah, yes. I love this topic. <laughs> I will tell you why I love this topic. Alcohol is alcohol is alcohol. It doesn't matter whether you want an apple teeny or you want Jack Daniels all rock. There is such a social vibe for a man to order a manly drink when they don't realize that I could make them a girly drink that's two times as strong as the manly drink, right? <laughs> and when I allow them to drink that, okay? So they're like, oh, well, I'll have this. I'm like, well, why don't you try this? Knowing full well exactly how the masculinity of that runs. But they try and they're like, that's amazing. And I'm like, exactly. And there's more alcohol in it than your whiskey on the rocks. They're like, no way. And I'm like, yes way. They open up and they realize they're allowed to have a fancy cocktail or even just something, you know, that's mixed. Those people that come in and drink whiskey on the rocks. They're probably set and determined to drink whiskey on the rocks. But maybe after the second one, you see the face and everything else like that. You're like, you know what, why don't you give this a try? Well, I only drink whiskey. I'm like, it doesn't make you any less of a man. You let them know. You basically call them out. You're like, look, I get it. You're drinking for the man. Here. Drink a man's drink. And they'll take a sip and they love it. But they're like, oh, but this doesn't look right in my cup. Da-da-da. And I'm like, all right.
0: What other safety measures do you take? Because I mean people obviously may drink more than they're comfortable with and think that their ability to drive is good. Other times when you'll intervene and try to like hook up a Lyft or an Uber or something like that?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I have seen people, regulars, they literally have had more than their share. And I will make sure that they have a Lyft, Uber, you know, even just a, a ride to make sure that they're taken care of. It's gotten to the point now where if I have regulars on league that are going to drink heavy and they'll come out and say, hey, I'm drinking heavy. I've got a ride tonight. They'll let me know way ahead of time. And I hadn't even had a saying. But that's been the three years that I've been there building that rapport with that person and them understanding that I a am not going to let them be get fucked up. Or see, let them drive, knowing that I was the one that served them. And it's a little selfish. You feel somewhat responsible
0: for like, Absolutely. what when is it happening to them?
1: Absolutely. If you come into my bar and you have three shots and three beers, I am now legally responsible for you, whether or not it's true or not. In my head and the way that I do think, my legal responsibility for you is the utmost. Like I'm making sure you're getting home okay. If you sat at my bar and had them or if you play, if you're bowling and you had them, I'm still watching out for your best intention. And
0: in picking up on safety, one of the things that obviously when alcohol is used in moderation and used with kind of a harm reduction safe style, it's not a problem. And for some people, of course, it is a problem. And just even being at a bar, they can go in with good intentions. I'll just limit it to one drink. But lo and behold, their self-control is not on point. What advice would you give somebody who really, I mean, just is trying with every ounce of their being to engage in healthier lifestyles and yet being at a bar is not good for them because the evidence is there. They go and they go with the intention of drinking just a little bit and they end up getting screamingly drunk. What's your advice to somebody who really just cannot be there?
1: Don't go, honestly. And the reason I say that is this. You are more likely to receive an alcoholic beverage sitting in a bar than you are at home with nobody around. It's just the way that it is, especially if you have friends that drink or you know, you're part of a drinking crew or whatever. Just stay home. Now, if you can't stay home, like you're part of the bowling league and you're paying $1,000 over the course of 36 weeks to come out and establish yourself, your bartender is your greatest gift. Because I can make you non-alcoholic cocktail that looks exactly like an alcoholic cocktail. And nobody's going to be none the wiser except you and me. And I do that for everybody. You know, somebody comes to me and says, hey, you know, I'm trying to stop drinking, but I know my friends are going to buy me drinks. And they point out that person. I know who they are. I know what they're drinking. And I know that I'm going to have to change one of their drinks to a non-alcoholic beverage and make sure that they're the ones that are coming to get the shots. Because then I could be like, this is yours. This is non-alcoholic. It looks alcoholic. Everything's fine. And you can go ahead and you can help somebody with that.
0: Wow. And it sounds like I I imagine that other bartenders throughout the country would probably have received that memo. Like some people like just talk, coordinate with a bartender and and like they'll be on your side. They're not here to champion you to live out, you know, a dangerous lifestyle. They're here to help you enjoy the night.
1: Absolutely. Biggest thing is, and this is nothing against any type of bartender that's like this, but bartenders that are out there to push booths are either A, very young in the game, or B, are in a system where they are determined by the amount of alcohol they serve. So you can have a bartender who may be a great bartender, but because they're forced to serve $24, $2500 in sales a night, they may allow their bartending skills to take a back step and allow the booze to come forward. That is very few and far between because I have never met a bartender in all of my years and every bar that I have been to that a bartender is there to sell you booze. They are there for their tip. If you get to a certain point that their tip goes up, they're going to get to that point quick, fast, in a hurry, but then they're going to taper you off. A lot of bartending, it's not to get you hammered to the point where you can't see straight, it's that enrich your experience, make sure you have a good time, get home safe, operate safe, but still take the most money from the guests.
0: Sure. Of course. And you know, you're saying that would not necessarily be determined by the amount of alcohol. You could certainly sell other things. You know, one of the things that I've tried to work out with some of the guys who I've worked with who have trouble with their alcohol is to become like the root beer guy, like Get to know various, like become an an Epicure of like great root beers or try out like a whole bunch of other non-alcoholic drinks and become like the Epicure and become the guy who knows all about them.
1: Send them to me. I'll show them something (laughs) that will knock their socks off that they wouldn't even think about.
0: One of the things that I have come to realize is that oftentimes wisdom is just looking at bad judgment and really analyzing it and determining what to do next time. So I'm just wondering, you've seen a lot of bad judgment exercise throughout your career, throughout your 19 years and you're nodding. What is some of the wisdom that you've gained from watching people engage in bad judgment? And maybe how could a listener benefit from some of the bad judgment that you've seen when analyzed properly?
1: When they say one more, say no. Okay. (laughs) That is the biggest to do that you will ever hear. Obviously, you know your limitations. Everybody knows their limitations. There are people out there who don't have the gumption to stand up. and say, no, I'm not going to have another. No, when Tuesday this is my last one. They could shy you on. They could harass you. They could. Nobody is going to make you go past that point. You are going to have your point, and there's nobody else that's going to have that. Point. So knowing what your limitations now. Does that mean that you're at a party and you're like, oh, well, tonight is my night to get messed up, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm not saying, you know, don't get messed up. I'm not saying don't get wasted. I'm not saying don't push yourself. I'm saying no for a fact what your limitation, you know, two drinks and you're good. If somebody offers you a third, you're going to think about it because natural progression of thought, okay, and just with natural basic principles. That third drink is going to be like, "Ah, I can have a third. Now, every time you've had a third, you could have crashed your car or something like, you could have had an extreme outburst to that third drink, depending on what it is. But you're still kind of skeptical. Just say no. It's easier to say no and get it right that time than to get it wrong and end up in a situation where you're not comfortable.
0: And I'm wondering if it might also help to have an accountability buddy. I mean, like really a good one or something else, because sometimes the whole just say no idea, it's like, gosh, I had the intention of just saying no. I know that for me, alcohol is not an issue. But if I'm around certain things like ice cream, oh, that thing's going down. That th- and that whole idea uh-huh. of Ben and Jerry's being multiple servings in that cont- that's one serving for me. Right. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. But, and, but alcohol. I'll, so I just keep that out of the house.
1: But, right, but you know where your limitations are.
0: I know where my limitations are, but if it's in front of me, dude. I'm telling you, best intentions ever. Mm-hmm. That's going down. Not the same for me with alcohol, thankfully, but I know for so many people through my work. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I made an ass on myself on Saturday night. And that was are image pit- that no one will ever be able to take back.
1: It's OK to make an ass of yourself. And that's the biggest thing that I want people to realize and people need to know is that it's OK to make an ass of yourself. You're going to make an ass of yourself because that's your human nature. That is your pull tap. That is the thing that is going to happen. Everybody's going to do it at least once, if not twice, maybe three times. You know what I'm saying? Don't be afraid to make an ass of yourself. Be responsible about making an ass of yourself. Look, alcohol is one of those things that is socially acceptable. It's also legal to a degree. And three, it's not as faux pas as it was maybe 100 years ago. Alcohol was the alcohol was the Main culprit of and caught all of the backlash at that because they thought that it was the cru d'etat of what was causing all of these issues. Okay? Sure. Now alcohol is not as bau pas. You know, what I mean you can get a beer at, at Applebee's, right? Sure. The question you have for yourself is how many of those beers am I gonna have? Am I gonna have six or am I gonna have two? Okay there's no three, four or five. I I don't care what it (laughs) says. I'm going to have three beers. I'm going to call bullshit because you're going to have more than three. Okay. Two to six. And everybody's like, well, that's kind of, you know, a wide range. And I'm like, well, this is 19 years of watching people do it. You know, they're going to, oh, I'll have one drink. They have two. Oh, I'll have one drink. They have six. Like there's no in between.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like part of the rule is You know, it's going to be one extreme or the other, almost for many people, like either there's going to be none consumed or a lot. Absolutely. Um, And and you're basically saying, know thyself. Yeah. Well, Zeke, I got to tell you straight up, it's such a pleasure knowing you. It's such a pleasure connecting with you about your craft and getting insights about what it's like from behind the bar, about what got you there, about what keeps you there and what will take you on your next adventure to Alaska. I'm super excited to hear how that goes. And just thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with my listeners. You're
1: very welcome. It's been an absolute honor of mine. Thank you so very much. And like I said, we'll have to do this again.
0: Awesome, man. This is Dr. Adam Dorsey thanking you for listening to Super Psyched. If you know anyone who might like it or who might benefit from listening, share it. And if you like the episode, please hit subscribe.